0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, grab them and go with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 12 this morning, the book of Mark and chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in, the, in the, the back of the seat in front of you, maybe in the back of the seat behind you. You'll find a copy of God's Word. Mark chapter number 12 is where you'll find our scripture reading for this morning. And we're going to find ourselves in verse number 13, okay? Mark chapter 12 and verse number 13. And if you found your place and if you're willing and able, would you stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word? Mark chapter 12, verse number 13. ...down to verse number 17. Authority is what is in discussion about Jesus right now. You remember a few weeks back in our study in Mark chapter 12... ...the Pharisees, the religious leaders... ...they came to Jesus and they asked him... ...who gave you this authority? Who who gave you the authority... ...to do the things you're doing... ...to say the things you're saying... ...to teach the things that you're teaching. And all that transpires from that point forward... ...is centered on the authority of Jesus. We don't like authority in our day and age. We like to defy authority... ...like to rebel against authority. If someone tells us to do something... ...our normal response is to do the thing they've told us not to do. If you see a sign that says don't touch... ...what's your first instinct? Glance this way, glance that way, then touch it, right? This is how we're wired. Authority is about a jurisdiction. It's about the legal right to use a power. A police officer, for example... He has an authority. The police officer has ability to exercise that authority. He has a sidearm. And that sidearm gives him the ability to exercise the power... ...that has been delegated to him. The police officer wears a badge. The badge says he is allowed to use this ability to exercise the authority as given or delegated to him. If the officer uses either the badge or the sidearm without authorization or in a way that's outside of his jurisdiction, it can be taken away. Think of it this way, Uh, an officer in L.A. County doesn't, carry the same authority in Orange County. An officer in Orange County doesn't carry the same authority in L.A. County. He's out of his jurisdiction. So when what we're reading in Mark chapter number 12 is we're reading about who has the jurisdiction. Who has the authority. Notice the verse, verse 13. They, that's the religious leader's they send unto him, the him there is Jesus. So they send to Jesus certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. They wanted to trap him. And when they were come, they said unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for no man. For thou regardest not the position of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Okay, so look here. Here's what they said. They said, we recognize that you are not regarding people. You don't treat people according to their positions of power in the culture. You'll, you'll, you'll say what's true to a person of power, just like you'll say what's true to a person who's not in power. You'll, you'll say what's true to the president, and you'll say what's true to uh, just a common man, the day laborer. We, we know that you care us not for no man. That's what that phrase means doesn't mean Jesus wasn't compassionate it means he doesn't regard people according to power structure who's influential that's not how he sees people notice what he says so here's the question you teach the way of God in truth here's the question is it lawful to give tribute to caesar or not shall we give or shall we not give but he knowing their hypocrisy said unto them why tempt ye me bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it. It was obviously a Baptist church because they had pennies, okay? He didn't say bring me a $100 bill, okay? They brought it. That was a joke, okay? That's as good as the jokes get, just so you know. He saith unto him, whose is the image and the superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering, he said unto them, render to Caesar." The things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's and they marveled at him our heavenly father use your word in our lives teach us truths from your word that will help us to live in these times and in Jesus name we pray and all the church said together amen Amen. thank you for standing you may be seated Jesus is establishing a principle that had never been mentioned before. The principle is this, that we owe obedience in different spheres of our lives. But Jesus is also reminding us of this wonderful principle, this great and truthful principle, which is God alone is the ultimate authority in our life. God alone is our ultimate authority. The society doesn't teach that. Society teaches our children, it says to me and you, that there is no higher authority in your life or mine than self. Self-governance. This is the ultimate authority. Do what you want. Do it when you want to. Do it how you want to. Do it with whoever you want to. Self-governance is in fact self-idolatry. Where God gets the demotion and man gets the promotion. It's the deification of self. The scriptures remind us over and over again. That God is not only our creator, but he is our savior. That he is Lord of lords, the Bible says. He is king of kings, the Bible says. God has authority over all of us. And God does not conform to us. We conform to him. God doesn't become like us. We are to become like him. That God created us. And God created us. He saved us. He rules over us. And he has made each and every one of us in his image. And now, as God's people, created in the image of God, saved by the Son of God, having put our faith in Jesus, we are commanded to live our lives in a particular way that reflects our understanding of God's authority. What the Pharisees are doing is they are seeking to paint Jesus as a troublemaker. They tried to paint Jesus as a troublemaker in the sphere of religion. He's throwing tables over. He's casting out those who are trying to use religion for their own profitability. They've corrupted or contaminated the worship of God for their own good and gain. And Jesus is coming to the temple and he's thrown all of that out. And he said, this is not the way to God. And now what the Pharisees are doing is they're saying... Jesus isn't just trying to do that. He's also trying to overthrow the government. He's an insurrectionist. That's what he is. And they're trying to paint Jesus as being this um, opposition to Caesar. I I want to be very clear. Jesus was not an insurrectionist. In fact, what Jesus does in this text is Jesus explicitly states that we should honor Caesar. We should honor. ...honor those who are in positions of government or authority... ...and the example that he uses is the example of paying taxes. That we should honor those in positions of authority... ...because we know that God has put them in authority for our good. And so our honoring of those individuals... ...reflects our submission to God himself. Jesus was not in opposition to a political kingdom. Jesus was not in opposition to Caesar. You'll remember already in our study in the book of Mark... ...they tried to come and take Jesus. You remember the crowds? They tried to come and take Jesus and they tried to make him a king they are say, you're so powerful, you can do miracles, your teaching is so wonderful, you're such an amazing person... ...please be our king and we can overthrow the Roman rule. And Jesus straightway rejected that. So what we're getting here is we're getting a glimpse to how Jesus views different spheres of our lives... We're getting a glimpse of how Jesus views different authorities that he has given to us and we are getting an understanding of what our expectation, or rather what the expectation of God for us toward those authorities may be. Now I need you to listen because some of you, you've never heard any of this before and I want you to, be, I want you to pay close attention. In the Bible, there's four areas of authority in the Bible. There's four areas of authority. You write these down in your introduction. There's four areas of authority given to us in the Bible. First, there's individual authority. That you, as an individual, are a free moral agent. God has given to you a free will. God has given to you a mind to reason. God has given to you a heart to discern things. God has given to you passions or dreams or desires. God has given to you interest. And here's the good news. You as an individual, you are different than me as an individual. Aren't you glad you're not like me? I'm glad I'm not like you. You're an individual created in the image of God. So is every human being ever born, ever conceived in this world. They're individuals made in the image of God. You say, pastor, what does God look like? Look around the room. God looks a little bit like each and every one of us because we are made in the image of God. So you're an individual. This is an area. God has given you a mind to reason, a heart to feel. God has given you dreams, desires, passions. And here's the thing. You and I will be held accountable to God for our individual actions, You ever heard somebody say, well, uh, the devil made me do it. Well, what they mean is they wanted to do it. And so they did it. And now they don't want to take any blame. They don't want any responsibility for the things that they've done. And so they're going to shift the blame to somebody else. Well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done this. That is a person who does not understand individual authority. That is a person who is not living responsibly according to the Bible. That is a person who is running from their own conscience and the Holy Spirit convicting their conscience. That is a person who is in rebellion to what God has given to them. They have decided that they will not yield to God and they instead will be their own gods, Romans 1. They had a knowledge of God, and yet they did not glorify him as God. And instead became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. So it's an individual authority, but it's not just that. There's there's another area of authority. The area of authority as it relates to the family. The family. God has instituted the family. God has instituted a home. The Bible's understanding of a family is this. One man, one woman, for one lifetime. That is the Bible's understanding of a family. One man, one woman, one lifetime. There is no state, there is no government, there is no country, there is no institution... ...that can turn upside down the institution that God has given to us in the family. One man, one woman, for one lifetime. And the responsibilities given to us in our homes... ...are that we would see to the health, the welfare of our children of each other as husbands, as wives, that as parents we would educate our children, that we would see not only to their academic education, but we would also see to their spiritual education, that as moms and dads, we would see to their spiritual formation, that we would teach our children to serve God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that as dads, we would lead our wives and our children in this way, that God would raise up a generation of strong men who would lead their families in a way that God has called us to lead. I am thankful that here at First Baptist Church, we have some strong men who do not pull back when it comes to their responsibility of leadership. We need men to lead. This is the home. Another area, a third area, the area of government. God has established government. The government's responsibility is to protect, to defend, to provide civil And civic order to make sure that there's no wrongs done to other people from different individuals in in that society, and that whenever those wrongs are done, that the government would step in and provide a reconciliation if necessary. But there's a fourth area. So there's the individual. Are you with me? Yes? Some of you didn't say yes? Okay, I'm just making sure. There's the individual. There's the home. There's the government, and then there's the church. The church's responsibility, according to the Bible, is to teach doctrine, the practices of God's word. The churches are led by a pastor and by deacons. And churches are to operate in this way, according to the scripture. So watch. There are different areas of authority. There's four, in the Bible, there's four different areas of authority that God has instituted in this world. So should we yield to these different authorities? That's the question. Should we yield to different authorities who are exercising their authority responsibly? Should we yield to them in certain ways? And the answer is yes. The direct question is this. Should Christians pay taxes? And the answer is yes. You say, well, well, why? Why do we have to pay taxes? Well, here we go. Point one. Because of Caesar's authority. You got an outline, you can write this down. Because of Caesar's authority. Should we pay taxes to Caesar even if Caesar is incompetent? Yes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar even if Caesar has generated a vast national debt of trillions of dollars? Yes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar, even though Caesar isn't using the taxes to fix the pothole in front of my house? Yes. These are all things I'm wrestling with, okay? The answer is yes. Why? Because as Christians, we recognize that God has established individual spheres of authority... And one of the legitimate spheres of of authority in our world from the Bible is the sphere of government. That God has established government. That God has set it up. And if you want a full understanding of this, we don't have time today. But if you want a full understanding, read Romans chapter 13. Read 1 Peter chapter 2. And you can see God has instituted this, this form of authority, this government, for our good to incentivize those who would do good and to punish those that would do wrong. So, as Christians, I'm gonna be very clear here. As Christians, we are called, listen, to yield to the laws of authority. So, you guys understand this board as this God up above, and you and I down here. And that God, the way in which God communicates to us, the way in which God blesses us, the way in which God provides for us, is God has given to us these institutions, things like the church, the government, our homes, even you as an individual, something like your feelings or your conscience or your heart, that God has given these things to us in order to lead us in the way that God would want us to go. So somebody will go, well... God's my authority. I only do what God says. Okay? How does God talk to you? How do you hear from God? That's the next rightful question. How do you hear from God? And most people answer that by saying, well, it's just what I feel. And they live in rebellion to authority that God has instituted. Listen, how does God lead us? How does God guide us? How does God speak to us? The primary way that God speaks to us today is through his word. You want to hear from God? Get into the word of God. And what does the word of God say? The word of God says he's established a home. And in that home he's established a dad and a mom. And as a mom and a dad, our responsibility is to shape and teach and instruct and guide our children. So one of the things that God has for our children is that they would be obedient to their parents. Now we can all agree on that, right? You want your kids to obey? (laughs) This is what God says. This is what you ought to do. That the way in which God leads us and guides us is through these structures that he has given to us. These belong ultimately to him. The church is not an American idea. That's God's idea. The government is not an American idea. That's God's idea. The home is not an American idea. That's God's idea. The home is instituted in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. The home dates all the way back to that. And so we live in a cultural moment that says, no, we got to get rid of all these institutions because they're keeping me back from my truest self. And we, we wholeheartedly reject that idea. We reject that notion. We say, no, 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 these institutions don't belong to any one of us in particular. They belong ultimately to God. And so where these institutions are offering to us, whether it be laws or in your home rules or for the church, expectations that are for our good, watch, we yield to that. That As Christians, we are to participate in civil obedience. Did you know as God's people, we are to yield to the government, to the state, to the nation, to the laws. We are to yield to them in hundreds of ways. In ways that do not conflict, in ways that do not conflict with our allegiance to God. We submit to the laws of the land, even though sometimes we feel like we wish the laws were different. I would love to be able to drive 90 miles an hour down the interstate. But there's a law. And so you know what I do as a Christian? I'd go a little over that speeding limit, okay? I, I would, I would love to say, well, it's my car. You can't tell me to buckle up if I don't want to. I can take that approach toward the law. I can take that approach to the to the government. And the Bible is helping us understand. No, 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 no. As Christians, we are civilly obedient in areas or laws or ways that provide good, that protect us, that look out for us, that we are to be finding ourselves yielding to those things, that we are to be civilly obedient in this. We obey laws. We obey hundreds thousands of laws, laws that relate to noise ordinances, laws that relate to speed, laws that relate to what side of the road you can drive on, laws that relate to how old you can be when you drive. the, the christian's basic posture toward the government toward authority is that we would have a submissive yielding spirit this is not just about the government this is also in your home this is also in the church our basic posture is that we would be submissive that we would be yielding not that we would be obstinate but that we would be submissive why because christ was submissive for us And we're to follow in the steps of Christ. So we're called to participate in civil obedience. But second, we're called to participate in public life. The followers of Christ, the Bible says, are to be salt and light in this world. Matthew chapter 28, we're called to love and serve. So Christians are to be involved in public life. Did you know this? You can do just a quick history search of this if you'd like. That throughout the the years, it's Christians... ...who have started things like hospitals. It's Christians who began things like adoption agencies and foster care. It's Christians who participated in civil liberties and the abolition of slavery. It's Christians who elevated the rights of women. It's Christians who have regard for every human life. It's Christians... It's Christians who are standing and saying, no, you cannot treat somebody like that because they're different than you. Because they come from a different side of the tracks than you. Because they speak with a different accent than you. No, we are salt and light in this world. And as salt, we are to influence the world that we find ourselves in. Amen. Salt flavors. How many of you like to add salt to your, to your, to your t- tortilla chips at lunch, right? They put, the, they put the basket of chips in front of me. I immediately grab the salt and start doing this, right? man goes, you haven't even tasted it yet. I know, but I need more salt. Salt flavors things. Salt preserves things. As Christians, we are, a, we are to be a preserving agent in our society. We're to be preserving it. It doesn't take a lot of salt, just Just enough doesn't take a lot of Christians, just enough. Christians can make a difference. Listen, you can make a difference in your neighborhood. You can make a difference in your office. You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference in your culture or society. You can make a difference. We're not all called to do the same thing. This is true. But we are all called to be salt and light. Let me give you a third thing. ...about Caesar's authority. We are called to pray for our leaders. First, First Timothy chapter 2. Amen. This is why every week... ...here at First Baptist Church... ...in the middle of the week... ...during our prayer service... ...we pray out loud... ...for the authorities... ...that God has given to us... ...in this land of ours. We call by name... ...the president... ...the vice president... ...the mayor the congressmen senators government authorities justices we call them by name why because it is given to us in the word of god a command to pray for them who are in rule over us we pray ultimately that if they are not saved that they would be saved We pray that God would put someone in their life that would testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. That they would hear of the love of God. That they would surrender to the love of God. That they would be saved. We pray ultimately for that. But we also pray that they would lead our country in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. So we ask God to give us leaders who will rule Who will govern in ways that are pleasing and honoring to the word of God. Here's what I'm telling you. We submit to Caesar in hundreds of areas. But Caesar has a limited authority. We do not submit to Caesar in every area. There are times when disobedience to Caesar is legitimate. If the government is requiring you or me to disobey God, we do not submit to him. If he is infringing on the rights of another authority, we do not submit to him. We do not yield, and this is the question. What happens when the authority is giving us a law that is infringing on another area of our lives should we find ourselves yielding what happens when this law that is being given is an infringement on another area it's outwatch it's outside of their jurisdiction what should we do and here's the illustration we do not yield we do not yield I not you listen. There's all kinds of biblical examples of this. Nebuchadnezzar in, Dan- in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, chapter 6, tells Daniel that he cannot pray to God. What does Daniel do? He prays to God. Do you know why? Because Nebuchadnezzar is not God. God is God. And God asks us to pray. In fact, he commands us to pray. Pray without ceasing. Nebuchadnezzar is not God. God is God. And so Daniel finds himself under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. Who's trying to exercise an illegitimate authority. Watch. An authority that is outside of his, spe- outside of his sphere. So Daniel says no, 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 no. I'm going to obey God rather than Nebuchadnezzar. Right. Remember the book of Exodus chapter 1. The handmaids who are responsible for helping to deliver children. And Pharaoh comes along the way. And Pharaoh says every Hebrew boy that is born. We want you to kill upon delivery. And what do the handmaids do? The handmaids say no. Handmaids who are Egyptian, they're not even Hebrews, they're Egyptian, but they believe in God and they believe in life. And they say, no, we will not do that, we will not participate in that. And this leads to the saving, uh, eventually, of Moses. What do they do? They disobey. Why? Because Pharaoh is not God, that is why. So there are times in our lives where we find ourselves asked to do something that we cannot rightly do in good conscience because it is a violation of what God has called us to do. Now watch. Here's what you need to understand. You say, well, does that mean I don't have to listen to anything that they say? Nope. Oh, the, the, oh, the... Nebuchadnezzar's saying don't pray. So that means he's infringing on his authority. So that means I don't have to pay my taxes now. No wrong. No, of course, we're still under God's authority. And we still seek to obey in all the ways in which we can obey. We still drive a little over the speed limit. We still put our seatbelt on. We still pay our taxes. But we will still pray to our God. Do you see? There are times in our lives where we're faced with this. And it's not just about the government. The government just happens to be the example given to us here. But what about our homes? What about our churches? What about individual lives? What about our office? Every home, every government, every church, every individual is accountable to God. God. And when one institution is no longer fulfilling its God-given responsibility, it is the task of the church, it is the task of the Christian to be a prophetic voice, to call that institution, that person, that thing, to repentance, to walk in obedience, to do what God commands and has assigned that institution to do. Nowhere does the scripture give Caesar the authority to tell me how to raise my kids. Nowhere does the scripture give Caesar the authority to tell me what I can teach to my kids. That is an infringement on the authority of the home. It is outside of their scope. But if as a dad or a mom, you are failing to provide instruction to your children. If you are failing to teach them, to nurture them, and to bring them up, the Bible says, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If you are neglecting the needs of your own children because you would rather live lustfully and selfishly and angrily in this world, then it is also the requirement of the church to care for those children and to confront the sin of those individual parents in failing to live up to their parental responsibilities. Do you understand? We don't walk around just mad at the government. That is not our common disposition no, our disposition is, no, we, we recognize the government is from God. And we want to yield to them in every way that we can. But they also must recognize that their authority is limited. And you must recognize that for your home. And we must recognize that for as a, ch- as a church. And we must find ourselves in a position where we are yielding, submitting. Caesar's authority. These Pharisees are challenging Jesus, and they're saying, You don't want us to yield to authority. And Jesus is saying, No, no, no. Show me the penny whose, whose image is on it. So render to him what is under his authority, and render to God what's under his. This is the second point, last one. Are you still with me? Yeah? yeah. Second, God's authority. God's authority. Watch what he says. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. That penny, that's Caesar's. Watch this. And to God the things that are God's. So here's the question. What's God's? If you answered anything other than everything, then your answer is wrong. Because you know what's God's? Everything. He made it all. It belongs to him. He created it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's his. It belongs ultimately to him. The Bible teaches us that not only did God create it, but God sustains it. So that if God were not holding the earth together right now, guess what? it goes spinning off of its axis and it would go out into oblivion. It's not just the earth that God creates and that God sustains. You know, the Bible says this, that God created and sustains you. That God formed you in your mother's womb. That God made you. God created you. God fashioned you. God built you. God wired you. God made you exactly the way he wanted you to be made. I used to hate the way I was made. My favorite basketball player growing up was Magic Johnson. And I'd go to bed every night Lord, please let me be six foot ten like Magic Johnson. I missed it by a foot and maybe an inch or two. <laughs> Depends on if I'm wearing my shoes. Why can't I be that big? Why can't I be that strong? Why can't I look as pretty as her? Why can't I be as cool as them? Why can't I be as popular as they are? Why why am I built like this and they're built like that? Listen, there's no more freedom found than when we find the freedom in recognizing that God made us individually who he wanted us to be. God made you like you and God made me like me. And I'm so glad God did not make me like you. And you can be just as happy that God didn't make you look like me. But simply because we look different or talk different or walk different does not mean that any one of us are better or worse than any one of the other of us because we are all made in the image of God. So, what's God's authority? The answer is this everything. Everything is under His authority. You're under His authority. The church is under his authority. The home is under his authority. Watch. The government is under his authority. It's all his. Not only did God create it and not only does God sustain it, but I want you to hear hear me on this. God, God was the one who sent his son to shed his blood for those who were living in sin. Caesar did not shed his blood for believers. Christ shed his blood for believers. The church belongs to Christ. Caesar is perfectly free to rule the church whenever Caesar dies for the church, pays for the church for, for their sin with his own blood. When Caesar resurrects for the church, for which he won't, because that belonged to Jesus himself. And when Caesar reigns at the Father's right hand in glory. Until then, the government, the home, and you as an individual must recognize the rule that God has for us. Normally here, this is where people respond with, right, well, that's what we call the freedom of worship. And we are free to worship. I'm glad we live in a country where we are free to do that. I spoke to some of our missionaries in the Ukraine, who for the past several days, almost four now, they've been living underground in fear of a bomb striking their city. I'm so thankful we live in a place where we don't have to experience that. We're free to drive, come in. Some of us got here late. It's okay, you got here. You were free to come late. Normally people respond by going, well, yeah, we believe the separation of the church and the state. And what they mean by that is they say things like, well, keep all your church stuff out of our political stuff. I want to be clear here. As a Christian belonging to one political party or the other does not get you one inch closer to heaven. You don't get to heaven because of your political party. You get to heaven because you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ regardless of your political party. But having said that, we ought to strive to be biblical. The issue is not that Christians should get their church stuff out of the political stuff. No, it's just the opposite. Things that are ultimately spiritual have been made political. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, I want you to see it. We're going to close with this. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus says, all authority is given unto me. Look at Matthew 28, look at verse 18. Matthew 28, look at verse 18. Jesus came and he said unto them, This is after Jesus had been crucified. This is after Jesus has rose from the dead. Jesus is now ascending to the right hand of the throne of God, which is where Jesus sits even right now. Verse 18, and Jesus came and he spake unto them saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. This is good. This is our mandate. This is our commission. This is our instruction. These are the marching orders for the church, for you as an individual. Go and make disciples. Baptize believers. And this is where most modern evangelical presentations of this commission, this is where they stop. As if the mission were only about evangelization and missions. The Great Commission starts with evangelization, but it does not end there. No, Christ unfolds the full responsibility, which is to provide transformational teaching. He says, teach them to observe, which means obey, which means follow. Teach them to obey all things that I have commanded you. So making disciples is not simply about getting someone to pray a prayer with no regard for how we live later or things we think later. No, discipleship is leading people into a grace-driven life where there is comprehensive obedience to the word of God. There is no part of your heart of your life there is no part of my heart and of my life that is sealed off from Christ we are not living self directed lives we are living lives given to us by God for the glory of God all that we have is from God and the way in which we should live all the things we do Should be for the glory of God, which means you should raise your children for God's glory. You should give to missions for God's glory. You should speak up in the public square for God's glory. You should think and reason for God's glory. We should be reminded that there have been faithful biblical figures like Esther and Joseph and Daniel who have walked faithfully in very difficult times. We are not the first generation of Christians to find ourselves in difficult times. These individuals walked faithfully but they did not walk with this unquestioning allegiance to some political party. No, no, no. They rejected the idea of these bankrupt philosophies that are present in our world today. No, they held to the truth. There are countless matters which Christians have classified as, well, those are conscience issues. But they're actually not conscience issues. They're discipleship issues. So how should we live in view of some of these difficult issues of our day? Second... ...we should recognize we are made in His image. Render to God the things that are God's. You are stamped with God's image. You fall under His authority. You fall under His jurisdiction. The coin it bears, the Caesar, it bears the image of Caesar. So Caesar can define how it gets used but you bear the image of God, which means God gets to define the things you do, the way you live. Life is not meant to be some long experience and some self-expression. No, life is meant to be lived, every breath of it, every moment of it, every minute of it, for the honor and the glory of God, because we Belong to him. Amen. We are made in his image. Third and last, we are committed to his truth. Notice what they say to him. It's, it's kind of ironic. In, in, in uh, Mark chapter 12, they come to Jesus and they say to Jesus, Thou teachest the way of God in truth. The primary way that Christians engage the world is with the truth. Spiritual warfare is not primarily a battle for power. It's not primarily a battle for the culture. It's not primarily a battle for society. It's a battle for the truth the truth about God, the truth about ourselves. The truth about sin. And in this cultural moment, we're told there's no such thing as absolute truth. Truth is a buffet. You can have what you want, when you want, how you want, whatever way you want. Your truth is just true to you, whatever that means. And from the beginning, this has been Satan's strategy. His strategy is to get people to disregard the truth. Much of what we face in the world today may be relatively new by way of terminology. But it's not new. It's actually not new. This is the way in which spiritual warfare has always been fought. But let me tell you what is new. What is new is the full-fledged push to normalize and require that everyone affirm untruths. And that is where we must draw the line. We will not affirm untruths. We affirm the truth. We stand on the truth. A truth that is not my truth or your truth. The truth doesn't belong to us. The truth is God's. Our our cultural moment says truth is inside of you. You you do recognize that up until maybe like five minutes ago, everyone else thought, no, truth was outside of you. It was out there. You had to pursue it. You had to find it. But the truth is not just out there. The truth is found right here. The truth is in God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. We should not think that we will ever be at the point in this world where when we stand for the truth, that it will be easy. Of course it will not be easy. Of course it will be difficult. Of course it will be hard. The days are growing darker. The times are becoming more evil. Standing for the truth is more difficult There are days where we will suffer loss, the loss of dreams, the loss of a spouse, the loss of relationship, the loss of someone. There will be times where we want to pull back, where we want to be quiet. And this is where Christian fearlessness must take root. We must remember greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. God is our authority. God goes with us. God will be strong when we are weak. And you can trust God. There is not a lot in this world that you can trust. But you can trust God. There's not a lot in this world where you... There's not a lot of places in this world where you can put your faith. But you can put your faith in God. And when your faith is put in God. Your faith is never misplaced. Because it's in Him. The psalm writer says... Did we in our own strength confide? Were were we actually just confident in ourselves? In our own abilities? In our own awesomeness? No, no, no. We are not confident in ourselves. But we are confident, fearless, courageous in Him. Why? Why? Why can we be confident in God? Here's why. Because God sent Jesus Christ into this world to die on the cross for your sin, and because Jesus rose from the dead in order to seal for you salvation if you would believe in Him. I'm asking you this morning have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you about your church membership, I'm not asking you about your religiousness, I'm not asking you about your civility, your morality. I'm not asking you where you went on Friday night. I'm not asking you what you did last weekend. I'm asking, you to, I'm asking you today, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has there been a time in your life where you've turned away from your own strengths, where you've recognized that you've lived in sin, you were in rebellion to God, that those, the payment for that sin, the wage of that sin, the cost of that sin is death And that if you die in your sin, you die separated from God and you will be, according to the Bible, separated from God for all of eternity in the place that the Bible calls hell. And that is the sentence that awaits all of us because we have all sinned. No one's perfect. No one's done right. No one's gone after God. We've all sinned. The best person that you can think of has sinned which is why God sent Jesus into this world to die on the cross for our sin. And he extends to you and he extends to me an invitation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Turn from your sin. Turn from your self-righteousness. Turn from your religion and believe on Jesus Christ. It is not a religion that you need. It is a personal relationship with Jesus that you can have. Amen. You, Lord. Yes. I'm asking you this morning, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? for your sin have you put your confidence in God and in God alone are you standing not on what the pastor says or the church says but are you standing on what God in his word says there are not very many people who are good for their word but God is good for his word